Dad, my sister, your daughter, Katie, told me to ask you for your explanation, which apparently you've given before of why are your feet always so clean? Well, I think I was born with it, a, a good gene to have, have clean feet, Ricky, but it's all about your cleaning technique. When you're in the shower, you, you wash from your head to, to the bottom, right? So everything washes down to the bottom. You get to the feet. Once you get to the feet, you scrub the top of the foot, the bottom of the foot, and you also soap and scrub in between each toe and in the little crevices under there. When you do that, you open your toes up with the water, make sure all the soap gets rinsed out between your toes and under your feet. And most importantly, make sure your drain and your shower is working properly because if you're, if you're standing in soil, dirty, soapy water, and of course your drain's not draining, and the shower's over with, well, you get all that bacteria and crap on there. I, you know, I think, it, I think it's a twofold thing with me. Hold on to your butts. It's the Mast Cast. On the latest episode of the Mast Cast, former Cup Series driver Rick Mast and his non driving son Ricky take a trip down memory lane and relive Rick winning the pole for the inaugural Brickyard 400 in 1994. They also discuss the impending closure of Furniture Row Racing and the departure of Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern to Joe Gibbs Racing. They also talk about Casey Kane and his mysterious illness and a little discussion about the bandit, Burt Reynolds. Well, Dad, uh, the people on Twitter have been upset with us, rightfully so, because we've been gone for a while. We've both been pretty busy, but we're, we're back just in time for Indy Weekend. So I, I want to start with an apology for, for having been absent for so long. I will... Uh, you know, my, my role with, with baseball and the Braves, we had 22 games in 20 days, and a, and we got a pennant race going on here, and blah, 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 but none of that's an excuse. We we've uh, we just haven't had time here lately, and I apologize for that. So I'm sorry, folks. Sorry. Well, if you starve the people, Ricky, it makes them crave, crave it more, so they want you more if you starve them, unless uh, they forget about it, unless they just get mad and quit listening, I guess. Well, that's true. That's kind of a tyrannical, diabolical, tyrannical way of looking at it. I like that. That's good. That's good. Okay. Well, I figure we, you know, we had to come, if we were ever going to come back for, for a time, it would, it would have to be, I think, indie weekend. And I can't think of any better way to start than what would, I would say would probably be the biggest highlight of your racing career. And that's going back to the inaugural Brickyard 400 in August of 1994 <clears throat> and you sat on the pole for that, and I was there. And I, I, I got to tell you, that was that's a the, that weekend is burned in my memory. And we'll get to my memories of it, but let's let's get to yours first because that's obviously more important. I mean, what do you remember about just first of all before you even won the pole, like going there and that whole experience of of NASCAR taking over Indy for the first time? Well, it was to me the the Brickyard, the Nagar Brickyard is just a benchmark for our sport. You know, you got. And you, you, you talk about some benchmarks. You got when Winston came in, you know, uh, the uh, golly, the, the, the big fight at Daytona, uh, the TV package, everything. The Brickyard 400 was one of those benchmarks. And the reason I say that, back in, I guess it was maybe 92, when we first caught wind in the garage area that we might be going to Indy for a race. It was probably two years before the race. I, I forget the timing exactly. We caught wind of it. Then we heard it was going to happen. And then they made the press announcement. And 
for the longest time period leading up to that race, it was, uh, I don't know how to put it. It was just, a, it was a long time leading up to that race, a year, year and a half or whatever it was, no one were going to go there and uh, all the stuff that was written and said about it. You know, I, I can go back and think, I think about some of the indie traditionalists, some of the drivers, indie drivers that, that came out with their quotes, you know, basically busting our ass, not wanting NASCAR there because, you know, they felt it was hollow, hollow grounds for their type of race cars. I certainly understood that. So, you know, there, there was a little bit of that went on, not a whole lot, just a little bit with a couple of three of those drivers. It wasn't a big deal. But yeah, I, I, real quick, was, I remember, I don't, I just remember my favorite quote from one of the indie guys about that deal was a uh, little Al, Al Hunter Jr. And I give him credit. He was honest. They asked him what he thought about it. Hmm. He goes, well, if I get a ride for it, then I'm for it. If they, nobody gives me a ride for it, I'm against it. <laughs> I yeah, always, always kind of like that mentality on it. Yeah, that's about right. Cause that little Al Jr. He's a, he's a good, cool dude, by the way. Okay. So, uh, that <clears throat> sounds about right. But anyhow, we, you know, so a year you get down to a year and then half a year or whatever leading up to the event. I mean, it was, it was on everybody's mind in the garage area. It was on the media's mind. It was on NASCAR's mind. Of course, the fans, uh, the people in the Indianapolis area, the people that knew about the Indianapolis 500, it, it was a big deal. I mean, when we went there and I'll never forget going there for that so-called so tire test. Right. And we go there, and, and I, they estimated, I don't know, I know it was a pile of damn people. It was, they estimated 50,000 people were there to watch this tire test. <clears throat> I remember thinking, good grief. Well, I remember going out to dinner. Two nights in Indy, we went out to dinner, you know, just little restaurants, nothing fancy, nothing, just a normal restaurant. We go, and we go out to dinner, we sit down at the table, and all these people in there come up asking for autographs, right? And I remember thinking, you know what? We're we're in a market here that we're not even close to. We've not even been close to this market. I guess at that time, the Michigan race would have been the closest market, you know, that we we had to Indy. And I'm thinking, man, this is this is a pretty big deal, dude. I mean, all these people show up for a tire test, you know, to see the see the stock cars, and then you go out to eat, and people recognize you in an area that you've never been in. And so they had to be from television, you know, people recognizing you. So, you know, when we go to the race, so when we show up there for the race, <clears throat> you got to understand the buildup that had gone on in that garage area for that race. I mean, and we went back two or three times before the race testing and all that. Everybody that had a race car would go up there testing. Everybody was nervous. I mean, everybody knew we, so we started 43 cars, I think, at the time, but everybody knew that everybody and their brother was going to take a race car up there to try to qualify for that event. So, there, you know, and you didn't have all the guaranteed spots the way you do today. So, you, you know, you had to make sure you wait, you qualified in there. You're protected a little bit by the points structure and all that. But still, you know, there's a lot of big names that, that had a chance of going home from that race. So, and you, you, you darn sure didn't want to do that as a, as a race team because of everything that had happened and was being, and I mean, I've never seen, I've never seen anticipation for anything happening in NASCAR the way I did the Brickyard, first inaugural Brickyard race. The amount of anticipation, highly anticipated, plus the amount of time that, that, that this thing was anticipated. I mean, you're talking, go back a year, and everybody's talking about it in the garage and what you're going to do and how you're going to, you know, it's just everything. I mean, we, you know, everything was different. You got the guys in the yellow shirts, and, you know, we go to the racetracks, you get your hard card, and you, you get gate guards, you do your thing. Well, we were told when you go to Indy, it's a, it's a different system up there. The guys with the yellow shirts, 
they're the guys in charge. They, they run the gates, do all that. Whatever they say to do, you do and don't argue with them, right? So it was just a lot of things. So we show up for the race, or we show up there, and the first thing that happens for the first practice, Earnhardt and Rusty getting a battle on pit road, scrubbing on each other, trying to get on the racetrack. Everybody wanted to be first at something at Indy. So to get on the racetrack first, those two got into it on, in the garage area, you might say a little bit, with a little scuffle. And to see which one could get on the racetrack first, be the first official car at, at the Brickyard 400 to be in the official practice lap. And I don't remember which one of those two hit the track first, but, but it was a big deal. You know what I mean? And you look around and there's 80, 80 some cars, I guess it was showed up. And, you know, like I said, everybody and their brother wanted to, wanted to run that race and wanted to make it. And, uh, so that, that just kind of set up set up the, the, the tone and the feelings when you first got there and unloaded <clears throat> and, uh, it, it, it didn't let up from, from, from then to when the checkered flag flew, uh, flew after the race, you know, it, it never let up. We we're fortunate enough to sit on the pole. It was, it was a neat deal. We were, we had practiced there. The last test there, we had run pretty good. It had some good lap speeds. We were hitting on some stuff with the car that, 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 that made it feel good. And, uh, but I tell you the first impression you talked about driving Indy, the first impression of Indy when you're going down the front stretch and I mean, you're hauling the mail, man, that's a fast racetrack to be a flat racetrack, but it's so big Well, you get towards turn one and it's not like a sweeping turn. I think I've talked about this before. It's like a 90 degree turn. In other words, in the straightaway, all you see in front of you is a wall. Like you're going to run into this wall head on. You know, and on all our other racetracks, you got the sweeping banks. You you go into the turn. You're kind of looking at the turn. You see the track. You see the you see the wall up there. This place, it was a it was a little bit unnerving to a lot of guys because you you're running. I guess we're running maybe 185 or 190, maybe 200. I don't I don't. It was fast. Maybe 200 at the end of the straightaway, and you know all you seen was a wall in front of you. Like you're going to hit this wall head on. So you're you know, your, your, your brain's telling you, you know, to back out of it. And of course your foot don't know any different. And so your foot's saying no, stay wide open. So, you know, you have to, you had to get through that. And I know a lot of guys were apprehensive about that. They had to get through it a little bit, but I mean, it's like any racetrack and any race car driver, you run three or four laps, you get onto it and everything's cool. Right. So, you know, we just, uh, like I say, we went and tested and had it going pretty good. We, we show up for, for the race and we, we practice on it. It's super fast. I mean, it's the car is doing everything I ask of it. You know, it's just, it's just a fast race car. And, uh, we had gone out. I forget how it worked. Maybe we had an early practice session. I forget how the thing worked. And, you know, I thought, man, we got a shot at this. We really got a shot at the pole this thing. I mean, I, who knows what's going to happen, but anyhow, it rained, right? And that, that track we had heard and learned and we had figured out also, but being up our testing, that's one of the most, that was, that is, or was one of the most temperature sensitive racetracks I'd ever, 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 ever been on. Charlotte used to be that way. Oxford Plains Speedway and Oxford, Maine, little tiny racetrack. That track was that way uh, at the time. So when it rained, we're all like, you know, I don't have a clue what's, you know, what it did to the racetrack. So I go to my buddy, AJ. AJ Foyt, and uh, he's there with a car trying to get qualified also. I said, AJ, here's kind of what my car did in the last practice. Here's kind of what it was running. What do you think this rain did to this track? Because we go out pretty early. We go out, I think we go out 10th, 11th, or 12th. We're one of the early ones to go out. 
And we felt like at the time that was a little disadvantage with the sun and however all that was working that day. I, I remember thinking we were, we were a little disadvantaged on that. But anyway, I asked AJ what he thought. You know, what, what's your track going to do, AJ? He told me exactly what that rain should do to that racetrack. Okay. So I come back and we go to the garage and I talk it over with Kevin, my crew chief, and we, we make a couple adjustments, you know, just based off of what AJ said, he thought that, or he said, I know not thought, but I know what the track's going to do, what he knew or thought the track would do. We made those adjustments and, you know, I go out and make my lap and, uh, you know, you couldn't ask for anything. Yeah. I couldn't ask for the car to do anything more for me. I mean, we hit it 10 tenths you know, in, in all four corners and, you know, we come in, we're fast as speed and then you've got to sit there the rest of the friggin' day and wait for the other, what, 70 cars basically to qualify. And when it was all over, we had to pole, baby. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, leading up to that, I or leading up to the weekend, I mean, I was, what was I, about 11 years old at the time, and I was, I was super excited to go because, I mean, even as a, as a kid, I mean, it's not like we were in NASCAR, but I mean, you sort of kind of kept tabs on the IndyCar and the other in Formula One, the other major racing series. But particularly, I remember, you know, every every Memorial Day weekend, I mean, before the 600, we'd all be gathered around, have the Indy 500 on somewhere, or at least if we were able to. I mean, it wasn't quite as, as easy to watch watch stuff when you're traveling around, uh, like or on, we didn't have mobile devices or anything really to watch them on at that time. But, but still, we would try to. So just to be able to go there, because that was just, I mean, that's just, that's, I, I'm a history nerd on, on most things, not just sports and racing, but as far as racing and history goes, I mean, that's it in, in America. I mean, that's, that's the place you want, you got to see. Um, so I remember when we were flying in, I'll never forget, we're flying in and looking out the window of the plane and seeing the racetrack from the sky for the first time. And it was just like that, ah, like that, just that moment of, I mean, I was just in awe of being able to look down, see an Indianapolis Motor Speedway with my eyes, like in real life for the first time, not just on television. I, that moment is one of those things that's going to be burned in, in my mind forever. And then going up to, uh, or speed, or fast forwarding up to, uh, to qualifying day, I remember, I, I can't remember if it was what, 70 some cars, 80 cars, whatever it was. I know you were like the 13th or 14th car to go. I want to say Earnhardt was the 13th car and he sat on the pole and then you were the 14th and you, of course, you know, went faster than him. Um, but me and, and mom were, we ended up in, for all who, for everybody watches the Brickyard, there's the, that building in turn two. Uh, it's kind of looks like a hotel or something and it's, it's suites is what it is, or at least that's what it was then. I assume that's what it still is now. I don't know. Uh, well, anyways, AJ Foyt had a suite there. And so mom and I were in that suite for qualifying along with Peggy Gant, Harry's wife, uh, Ann Hayes, who's Johnny Hayes from, uh, U.S. Tobacco and Skull, his wife, and, the, and you know AJ's people. We were all in there, and that's where we watched uh, qualifying. So we would see the guys come through, see all you guys come through turn two. And I, I would never forget. I remember watching Earnhardt come through there, and then you hear uh, the the old track announcer. Oh gosh, I can't remember his name. I believe it was Tom something. He had that fa his famous catchphrase was when somebody during qualifying, when somebody, and he would do this for the Indy cars too, when somebody would set on the pole or, and do it with a new track record. And, of course, this is the first time you would ever run there. So every new new pole setter was going to be a new track record. He would go, and it's a new track record. Like, that was his, his thing. Uh, well, two things. When you take the green flag, they'd say, and he's on it. 
Uh, so he would say, Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember it, that. It was really, he's, it was on like, it. he's on it. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's, it's an iconic thing, you know, yes. if, you, if you grew yes. up and you, you kept up with Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So hearing him say, I mean, when you took the green flag and hearing him say, He's on it, that was kind of like, uh, you got just a little goose, some goosebumps for that, you know, because that's a phrase I'd heard growing up, but now it's you. And hearing him say that was, was cool. And I'll never forget you coming through turn two right in front of us there. And, when, of course, we couldn't see the, the front stretch from where we were. But when we heard him say, and it's a new track record, all of us in the suite, I mean, we lost our minds. We just started cheering and, and screaming. And you hear all the crowds, you know, because there was a huge, huge, big-ass crowd there for this. You hear all of them going nuts because you had just topped Earnhardt's time because he'd run right before you. And, I mean, we were beside ourselves. And we'd kept up with the speeds and practice and everything else enough to know that your lap, even though there were 60, 70-some cars left, you had a pretty good shot at it. It was a fast enough lap. You're the only one who ran 172. We knew you had a pretty good shot. I remember we were mainly waiting for uh, Jeff Gordon, who, of course, went on to win it, win the race. He was the one, I think he went later on in qualifying, and he was the one that we were kind of focused in on thinking like, all right, if, if, if we get past him and Dad's still in the pole, then we think he's got it. And when he qualified and, and didn't, didn't beat you, we all felt pretty confident that that was it. And so we went ahead then and, and went to the, the infield to meet up with you and everything. Well, we get down there, and it's funny you bring up the yellow shirts. Those guys – they they mean they do indeed mean business. They don't care. They didn't they didn't give a crap about NASCAR's rules or anybody's. This is this is their turf. These these are their rules, and we're not gonna we're not. There's no deviating from that. One of which was I was as I mentioned, 11 years old. So they weren't letting kids down in the in the garage area. It didn't matter that the NASCAR people were like, no no, he's with the driver or whatever. Nope, didn't matter. I believe how it all finally. Uh, finally got it sorted out was Johnny Hayes went and got former NASCAR NASCAR driver. And at that time he drove the pace car, Elmo Langley. And I believe it was him who finally just got me in and said, no, oh. it's, you know, he, he's going to be allowed in. And we, yeah. And we came down there and, and, uh, and found you. And of course the press was, was all around you and they were eating up the, the famous traded a cow for my first race car story. And I'll tell you how big that deal was. Not only the next day in the newspapers, again, this is just this is pre-internet and everything. The next day in all the news in some of the newspapers, obviously every story, every newspaper was like every sports section in the country had a story on you. And you were I, I think you were on the cover of not just the sports section, but on the cover of USA Today the next day. I mean, I, I can't stress enough that this was kind of for those couple of days, you were kind of the king of the auto sports world. And it was pretty, pretty freaking cool. But not only had they run stories on you. I had some reporter that interviewed me and mom and they ran an article on us just having watched you and experienced the whole thing that day. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was nuts. And then of course they had the, what they get? It was like 50 grand to win the pole and a van, which went to your owner and that whole deal. I mean, that was, um, that was pretty cool. And again, this is pre motorhome days. I remember us going back to the hotel that night and we finally got done. You finally got done with all the media and everything. And this is like kind of the, one of those other images that will always be in my head. We get to the hotel and people knew that, uh, that we or that you and the team were staying at this hotel and they put up made signs and put them all out in the lobby. Congratulations, Rick mass, number one, skull team, pole setter and all that deal. And I just thought that was, uh, that was pretty freaking cool that uh, that, that 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 had happened. So that that whole day was just, 
I mean, it was the whole day of just trying to get in. I mean, literally looking there at that famous gasoline alley sign, they wouldn't let me in and they did. And then you're there and all these press are around. That was, uh, that, that was just one of those days till the day I die. I will, uh, I'll remember and cherish. That was, that was a special time to say <clears> the least. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, it was. It was. It, and like I say, Ricky, it was, it was a benchmark in our sport. I mean, that night, I mean, that evening from then, I, I think maybe we was on a Thursday. We qualified and raced on a Saturday. That's or right. Yep. I forget how it was, but I know each night that night, or when I left the racetrack, it was when I got back to motel, y'all were already there and it was late because they set me down in, in one of those, uh, is it Marion County? All these deputies up there, good bunch of guys. I, I got in a, in a deputy car and we had motorcycle escorts, right? And they, we, we left the racetrack. I remember leaving in the deputy car with the motorcycles and we went from place to place, to place, to place, to place all night doing just doing interviews, radio stations, and all kinds of stuff. We did it the next day. It was Thursday night, Friday. Friday night, we did the exact same thing. As soon as practice was over, they, they threw me in with the police, and all across the city, Indianapolis, we went. We went. I don't know where all we went, but, I, I, you know, you fly through intersections, and you, you, you fly up to a building, and they open the door, and you get out, and you go in there, and you would jump back in the car, you know, and just fly all over the city. It was It was – it was really the damnedest thing <laughs> to be honest with you. And, you know, then it leads up to race day. And of course, you know, there's a million stories I could tell you about this particular weekend, but one of the things that always stuck out to me is, you know, the, the frigging place was packed. You come down the front straightaway, they got, they got the grandstands on the inside. You know, you got the outside stands, you got them on the inside down the front stretch. Well, me and Earnhardt, we're riding on the, the, the convertible for pace lap, you know, after driver introduction, we go down the back stretch, we come off turn four and you go down turn four and you look up when you're going slow. If you, when you're in a race car, you don't really pay any attention, but going slow, you look and all of a sudden you see all these frigging hordes of people. I mean, it's just the most people I'd ever seen, I guess, in any one place. Well, it would be three or four hundred, three hundred thousand, whatever it was. And I remember never forget that Earnhardt looked at me, he says, Rick, I said, yeah, man, can you believe all these damn people are here to watch us? I says, well, Earnhardt, if, if, it, if it affects you that way, it affects me that way. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Dale Earnhardt was truly, truly humbled when he made that comment to me, you know, and you didn't, you didn't catch Earnhardt in a humble moment very much, but he, he was, he was basically, you know, what, what he was basically expressing to me was, you know, how big a deal this was for our sport, you know, that, that, that many people show up to watch, watch us guys that had never you know, we've never been in that area before. And it was, uh, <clears throat> it was truly a, it, it was a remarkable, it was a remarkable weekend for our sport. You know, I remember in the driver's meeting, sitting in the driver's meeting, of course, Bill Jr., Bill Jr., France Jr. is talking to us. And, uh, he said, the boys will tell y'all something. She says, we're on a hell of a big stage here today. And he kind of looked down at me and Earnhardt were sitting beside each other. We kind of looked down and glanced at me and he glanced at Dale and two or three other guys around us. He says, now, when they drop that green flag and y'all go into turn one, do not embarrass my sport. Basically, what he was saying to all of us is when they drop the green flag, go in turn one, hold your line, keep your shit together, and don't be, don't be cause some big fiasco and a wreck, make you look like a bunch of, of jack legs, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he was dead serious, and we all, we all took that to heart. I mean, you know, everybody, everybody knew that. Everybody... Everybody knew it was a big stage. Everybody knew that it was it was something that, that that was unprecedented at the time. I don't know that 
any of us understood how big a deal it was at the time. We all knew it was a very, very big deal, but I don't know that we, we understood exactly the magnitude that, that that particular race held and would hold for, for a long time on, on, into growth and explosion of our sport. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You mentioned <laughs> earlier the uh, some of the indie, a couple of the IndyCar guys weren't all that thrilled with it when it was announced, but I'll tell you this. I mean, obviously a lot of NASCAR fans showed up for that first race, but there were a lot of folks who were IndyCar fans or, or more maybe more specifically who were Indianapolis 500 fans who showed up every year for that and didn't necessarily follow NASCAR who made sure they were going to be there for that Brickyard 400 and they embraced it. And one of the cool things I remember about when we would we went back in subsequent years was you know, me traveling with you every week. I mean, you hear driver introductions every week and – and, you know, you're you're the cheer for, you know, Earnhardt would always get the same where it's, a, it's just this, like it's just a, this massive roar of mixture of boos and, you know, screaming cheers together. And, and Jeff Gordon later on started getting some of the same. And then, you know, more popular guys would get a little more cheering or whatever. But I remember whenever we would go to like, whenever we were at Martinsville, Richmond, your cheers were always a little louder because you were, you know, they'd say Rick Mass from Rockbridge Baths, Virginia, and you had more of your folks there and they were there to support their Virginia drivers. But I remember every time we'd come back to Indy, that outside of Martinsville and Richmond, that was a place where you always got a little bit more. It was noticeable. It was definitely noticeable that during driver introductions that the crowd would cheer for you more just because you won the poll that first year. And I think that, and this is just my opinion, but I think that the stories that came out after you winning the poll that day leading up to the race over those two days, with it being the first time and everybody paying so much attention, I always kind of felt like you endeared yourself to, to the folks up there. And I just, I loved going back up there. I loved those fans. They were so cool to be around and just, just passionate about racing, but passionate about just Indianapolis and the history of it. And to me, the fans were, regardless of what anybody else thought about it, the fans were showed up and embraced NASCAR taking over that place for one weekend every year. And that was more than anything to me, that was probably the coolest thing was just seeing how cool those fans were. And it was, uh, you know, people have asked me, people ask me now when the subject of NASCAR comes up, well, what are your favorite tracks? And I always say, well, short tracks, Richmond, Martinsville are probably in Bristol and then Daytona because it's, it's Daytona. But then I always have to throw in, I always have to say Indianapolis just because it's, not because it's maybe the best place to actually be able to see a race or that sort of thing. It's just, it's one of those things you got to go. You have to go see if you're a race fan, you got to go there at some point and experience it because it's just, it's hallowed grounds and it's, uh, it's an incredible place. So I, I don't know that we'll ever get back to a point where you, you're going to have three, 400,000 people there. I think that, I think those days are gone and that's not a NASCAR's declined topic or anything like that. I just think it's just, that's just too hard to get that many people in one place again, I think, for one event. It but, is. But uh, but I think it's still something that you got to go, and I look forward to the Brickyard every year. It's just that that place, no matter what happens, that's, it's just always going to be a special place to me, and I, I look forward to watching it again this weekend. Well, I think it's a special place to – there's probably three or 400,000 people that it's still a very special place to, the ones that were there that weekend, uh, because they were there, they were enthusiastic. You know, they were, they, they weren't docile fans, man. Everybody was standing up the biggest part of that time there. And it just, uh, yeah, again, you know, I'll tell you something else that that, that race did, uh, you never really hear about much, but 
you know, in those days, I could I could name you every every single beat writer on in our circuit. In 1994, I could I could write down the names or tell you the name of every single journalist that was in our sport. And half of them, I could tell you probably the names of the wives or the kids or kind of what they were doing to interest. We just had that relationship. Dude, when I went to poll and they took me into the press box, which is a great big, it's like a little mini theater, you might say. This place was packed with reporters sitting up there and I'm asking, I'm answering questions and I'm looking as I'm answering questions and they're asking, I'm looking around the room, recognizing all the regular journalists. Well, I'm going to say in that room, probably 40% of the people, reporters, journalists that were in that room were the guys I recognized. I'm going to tell you probably 60% of the journalists that were sitting in that room were guys I'd never laid my eyes on. Right. I mean, and, and some of them, I, I, I remember it hit me. A couple of guys stood up and asked a question and they, and they announced, of course, where they were from. In other words, I'm Bill Smith from Arizona Republic or whatever. Right. And, and, and these guys, there's a couple, there's a couple guys asked questions from foreign countries. Uh, all these friggin' reporters in there that had never been, well, maybe they had, but I'd never seen them, but I, I'm telling you, no, they had never been to a NASCAR deal. But what this did, it brought, you know, if you had 40% of your guy, or if you had a hundred people, 40 of them were your beat writers, all of a sudden you got 60 new ones. And these guys had never been their sport before. And they came here to cover this race. So that, that just adds to what I'm talking about. This, this, that particular race being a benchmark in, uh, another, another, another mechanism that, 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 that was part of, that was part of, you know, exploding our sport, you might say. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever heard that talked about Ricky, but I always remember thinking that. And, uh, I don't know. It was it, just, it was just, it was just a hell of a sport for the mass. I mean, a hell of a weekend for the mass family. It was a hell of a weekend for NASCAR. I do know that. Those are two facts that I do know. It really was. It was, you know, in the early, mid, and on into the late 90s, there were a bunch of those, you know, NASCAR has arrived kind of moments on the big stage, and I would argue that that was as big, if not the biggest of all of them. So before we move on from it, I do have one little other memory I want to share from that that I just thought of. Uh, Because, again, I mentioned, you know, Mom and I were watching qualifying in A.J. Foyt's suite. And as you mentioned, he was qualifying, he tried to qualify and did qualify for the race, that number 50 Copenhagen car, if I'm not mistaken. So he makes his qualifying lap, and it was, uh, it was a good one, and it looked like he was probably going to get in. So I will never forget this. The, uh, they interview him uh, at, the, at the track, and I don't think this was on TV. It was over, because we heard it over the loudspeakers <laughs> over the track. Somebody asked him, because at that point he was pretty much retired from driving. But he, he That's course, right. You know, but, of course, he had to come back and try to make – he wanted to make the first Brickyard 400, and he did, which was awesome. But I believe they asked him, you know, what does um, – is, is your wife – she's probably – is she not happy with you back out here racing? He said, no, but my girlfriend is. And yeah. I'm telling you that all of us in his suite and the, all the fans around that track, I mean, it was just thousands upon thousands of people all just bursting out laughing. And that was, that was hilarious. You know, that was typical AJ just to come up with a quip like that was, uh, that was, I bet you, I bet you Lucy Foyt wasn't laughing. She probably was the only one well, there. No, not no, hell she done. She done put up with that goofball those years. Yeah. She'd have been laughing. I, yeah, I think, laughing. I think everybody got a pretty kick. Pretty good kick out yeah. of that one. So that was a yeah. uh, fun weekend, and man, that's uh, you know what? I, let's just hope we get some more magical weekends like that in NASCAR's future. Hopefully, we will. 
We will. We will. All right, Dab, what is we are definitely in the midst of silly season and now, granted, I haven't gone back to look and study recent silly seasons to judge uh, uh, which would be the silliest, but I got to think we're in the midst of a pretty silly one right now. Uh, the big news this week, one of the big stories, probably the biggest story, is that the 78 team, the defending NASCAR Cup champion team, Furniture Row Racing, is is shutting down after this year. And Truex and Cole Pern reportedly going to uh to take the 19 ride at, at joe gibbs so what do there's all there's all kinds of hot takes all over the place about this whole deal but what do you make of this whole deal the 78 shutting down well number one it was a, it, to me from, a, from an outside of you it was a, it was kind of a shock it was a shocker but and knowing my little bit of research and talking to some guys on the inside it, 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 it it's not that big a shocker to some of the folks in in, in the industry you know, because the rumor had been going around for a good while that that was probably going to happen. And, of course, everybody's take, of course, was, you know, how can this be a championship team can't get a sponsor for the next year? That was that was the first hard-hitting takes that a lot of the scribes had for it. <clears throat> and, you know, I, 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 still, I still haven't got my mind completely around it, but, you know, one of the things that did come out and, and, and you go back and read the owner's quote and he says, you know, I don't have enough money to continue the J, the Joe Gibbs race at Alliance. Okay. I remember, I remember when, when reading that and I'm like, huh, I wonder, wonder what that really means. And then, then somebody come out with a story I read yesterday that, that the, the, uh, I guess the charge from Gibbs racing for the Alliance was going to be doubled next year. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. The journalist that wrote it, I'm not sure that he had that information correct. I'm not, you know, but what that did, that kind of opened up a different firestorm with some folks uh, writing about that and maybe unjustly putting some, some unjust criticism on the Gibbs deal. I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. But the bottom line is, you know, the guy had just won a championship. They're a front-running team. They're winning races. They had lost, I guess, five-hour energy. Wasn't coming back next year. From what they say, they didn't have anything to go on the car to replace them. And, you know, he just felt like the owner did. He, and he also made a comment that he had a heart attack last year. Remember at Homestead, you know, he couldn't he couldn't go there for the championship. He couldn't go to the award ceremony because he had the heart attack. He, he made mention of that. You know, he made mention that, you know, uh, I had that heart attack last fall and it made me really reprioritize things in my life. So, you know, you, 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 when, when a man says that, that kind of tells you a little bit about what he's thinking too. And, and that, you know, maybe I don't want to do this anymore, or maybe I don't want to fight it anymore. Maybe I can keep it going. We'll keep going and we'll. We'll get a sponsor, which is what all owners do at, through the history of the sport. They always do that or they go broke. Well, that guy's too smart. He's not going to go broke. He made mention of the fact that he'd have to borrow money, you know, if he didn't have a sponsor to keep the alliance going with JJR, J, with Gibbs. So, you know, everything he said just kind of told me that, you know, he had, he, he, he had a vision or a plan of, of wanting to do a cup team and wanting to be successful and, he was, and he did all those things to become a championship team. And maybe that interest in it was just gone from that. Maybe, 
having a heart attack, you know, getting up and fighting the sponsorship deal again. And more than likely, they'd probably, probably had time to put something together. I, I can't say that uh, with 100% certainty, but you would think and hope that they would put some good stuff together. And he might have to fund it a little bit. But I, I think, you know, it's just one of those things that that particular fella, you know, in his mind, he's like, you know what? I did what I wanted to do. And, you know, I've had a heart attack and, you know, I don't feel like fighting stuff. I want to live more peacefully. That's my take. That's the way I took it from him. That is and, exactly the way I felt about it, too. I felt like that's he 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 did what he did, what he set out to achieve. And now it's time to sit back and, and take it easy a little bit. I mean, yeah. to achieve what that team achieved, how they did it from where they started, where they were located and all that. I mean, that just seems. It was kind of impossible when Alan Kowicki did it in 1992. It was, I would argue, uh, I don't know, 10 times more impossible to do nowadays, and they somehow did it. And once you've, once you've hit that, that peak, that you've gotten to the top of the mountain, it's just, I, I would think, and for my mindset, it's just like, especially if you're a successful person, successful business person like that, it's like, well, once you've hit that goal, that, that thing you wanted to achieve, I would think it would be kind of hard to to want to keep doing that, keep fighting all the stuff you got to fight to to do it again. And especially, like you said, I would think that the health issues certainly plays a big role into that. So I, that was the way I felt. I took it too that it's just, you know, what we we had a good run and we set out and we did we accomplished exactly what we wanted to, and that's it. And that's let's let's good. It's a good time to shut it down. Yeah, I think so, and I think. You know what, what? What got everybody off guard a little bit is it's not the mold. It's not the it's not the normal mold of of our sport. It's not the mold. It's not the way car owners in our sport have ever done it. They've never done it like comes into our sport. And most of them are car related somehow, and they're car junkies or whatever. And they they get in it and they 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 live it, breathe it. You know, every day of the life, and they do it to the day they die. You know, they just get too old to function. You know, and sell out or whatever. But the, the way this guy did it, you know, is completely, completely against tradition in the way it's always been in our sport. And I think that that probably that threw a lot of the journalists off a little bit or maybe didn't throw them off, but it made them instead of maybe really thinking this thing through a little bit. They just immediately hot topic. Here's a championship team. It can't get a sponsor. Another blow for our sport. And I, 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 I just don't believe that to be the case. I don't believe that to be the case. I don't either. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think that there's – look, we all know what the issues are and the problems are. We've certainly talked about them with the sport. We've talked about them plenty on here, but I completely agree with you. I don't think that this is your typical just, oh, boy, this is just NASCAR, another sign of NASCAR's demise. I, I think there's just way, way, way more at play here, uh, and I don't think it, you can look at it that, that way. I, I just think that it's – you know, this is just it, this was time for for the car owner, and it just made the most sense to to let it go. And then for for Truex and Pern, for them, as I'm assuming they are moving to JGR. I mean, that's to me, it's kind of it works out best for everybody because the car owner, like we said, he he did what he set out to do. It's a shame he didn't get to enjoy it in person last year, but it doesn't matter. He's he, he did what he set out to do. And Truex and Pern will get to carry on and go to another top organization. And I, to me, I think it'll be a pretty seamless transition. I mean, as seamless as, as relocating from across the country for Cole and, and 
whoever he brings with him can be. I think that that's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you're still well, the same manufacturer, the same, same duo there, same combination. It's, it's, that's going to be, it's maybe the thing, maybe, I don't know that anybody's talking about this enough is man, talk about, uh, you know, JGR with their, their stable they've already got. And now you put in Truex and Pern. My goodness, that is something that's, yeah, it's, a, it's, de- it's definitely a powerhouse and they won't, they won't miss a step. Of course, you always got to think about the rest of the crew. The other guys that, that uprooted, moved to Denver, okay, and for the job of racing, now that's gone. So, <clears throat> you know, what does the team do about those guys? Do they all move back to Charlotte and get, get jobs with other teams? You know, that's that's the downside of any team that closes. It's no different no different than when Michael Waltrip shut down or, you know, BK having their trouble, whatever. You know, guys, that's just part of the sport. The difference being they got to relocate from halfway across the country, right? So, you know, that, that part of it. So, you know, that, that's probably, that's probably the biggest downside is, is the crew guys, you know, that don't, that's not a Cole Pern. It's not a, it's not Cole Pern. It's not uh, Martin Truex. And you got Joe Garnt, Joe Grand, the, 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 the guy that actually built the team with him, you know, uh, what does he do now? So, you know, a lot of questions for those guys, but the neat part about it, you know, he, he, he's done, he made his decision. He stuck with it. And he made the announcement to give guys time. Cause you know, like Ricky, a lot of times I can tell you time after time, after time you run the last race at Atlanta or in those days, Atlanta, you get, you get the shop Monday morning. There's a damn sign on the door, you know, doors locked team's gone. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you get called in the office. We're not racing anymore. And man, you're, you're, you're at the off season and your chances of landing something is, is, is tough. I mean, I know a lot of guys that went through holidays for years, went through all the Christmas holidays. They didn't have a pot to pee in, man, because they'd lost their job. They didn't know about it. Last minute, they were just, you know, they were just unexpectedly thrown to the wolves. And these guys, I mean, I can name you names. Guys had tough times, you know, when this stuff happened. So, uh, you know, uh, I compliment him for doing it at the at this time frame. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Because those guys, those guys are still racing for a championship. And they could, you know, they're one of the top contenders to win a championship and they could very easily do that. So, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of things you, as a crew member in that team that you have to suck up and do, uh, in order to keep performing the way you have been, knowing you're not going to have a job. You're like, man, this is a tough deal, but you know, it is what it is. Races, race is a tough business. There's no two ways about it. Racing always has been, always will be a tough business on the people. Yeah, it is. And I think that's the sports industry in general. It's, it's a tough thing to break into. It's a tough thing to stay in and the sacrifices you have to make to really, to want to stay in it and be in it. They are numerous. All right. They, there, there's a lot you have to, I think deep down what it really comes down to is you really have to have a love and a passion for it to be able to, to get into it. Well, you know, maybe not to get into it. Some people I've seen people sneak their way in, but to stay in, and do well in it and have a long successful career in it there has to be there has to be a real true passion and love for it and you got to be willing to sacrifice a lot for it too so but to your point yeah that is really good for those crew guys especially the ones that are potentially going to have to move all the way back to to North Carolina I mean back in your day I mean the season ended a little bit earlier but it still ended in November first week in November maybe but still November and you think about it in your day I mean you're January 1st rolls around or shortly after January 1st, y'all are heading down to Daytona for testing test or testing. That's right. And, the, and that's right. so, so that you, you think about that. Let's just say the season ended on November 6th or whatever. Next day, Monday 7th rolls around a crew guy shows up and realizes, Oh, sorry, we're shutting down. We're not coming back. Well, you're sitting there and you got 
you got your family to feed, you got Christmas coming up, and then you got to somehow find a job that's going to start right after Christmas. Uh, that's that's tough. So that's I hope that all of the folks that that want to stay, that moved out there, that want to stay in NASCAR and will are willing to move back will will find a place. And hopefully, having been part of a an already championship team with that could potentially be a two time. Uh, defending championship team hopefully that that will help them all uh, land a spot so you know best best wishes to all of them hope that, that it works out and i i think that it, that, it, that it hopefully will for most of them all right dad another big piece of news here we uh we already knew casey Kane. wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute ricky i gotta tell you i just got a text okay i just got you know our old buddy at richmond dennis b uh-huh president of, of richmond dennis b yep Hey, you ever figured out? Have you ever figured out how to say his name yet, Ricky? I, I believe it's Dennis Bickmeyer, Dad. I believe Bickmeyer. that's how you say okay. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I just got a text from old buddy Dennis. It looks like at Richmond for the next race, I'm going to be on the new stage in the infield at 2:45, conducting a and A with the fans. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's cool. Say that one I'll, more time, just so they hear it. Now, I want to hear it again. What, let's let's reiterate I'm going to it. Be, I'm going to be on the new stage in the infield at 2:45, conducting a Q&A with the fans. Right on. That's going to be exciting. Already, they got the new, the, the new the new Richmond is here. Yeah, baby. We're going. We already had us doing some stuff with a couple of suites that evening late. So, I don't know. I just I just love those folks. I love those folks at Richmond. I They're do the too. best folks. I do They're too. They're just the best folks, man. I, I hate that uh, I'm not going to be able to make this Richmond race. Of course, we did our first live episode back there in the spring, and that was that was that was just such a fun day. And I, I love that we actually got to meet some of our Masscast listeners, which was great. Uh, and I hate that I'm not going to be back there. It, you know, if the Braves weren't sitting here chasing an NL East division title, I could probably take off a day or two to to do it again. But but uh, I can't this this time around. So that's yeah. I, is it? And uh, yeah, and, and to talk about that a little bit, you know, we've been we've been delinquent in our bass cast for the last few weeks. Is there is there something else going on, Ricky, that's, that's taking a little bit of your time that might be announced during the future? There is. You got something else? There, something else going on? I well, you know, I'm always kind of I'm I'm part of me. I think I've got a little bit of racetrack promoter in me because I've always got some harebrained idea or some scheme that I'm, that I'm thinking about and working on. I mean, part of, that's kind of part of the reason why MassCast exists. That was just another one of these schemes and ideas. This one just happened to work and land. Um, so, yes, there is something else that I'm, I'm working on that has taken up some of my time here recently, in addition to my already busy work schedule. So I can't say what it is yet, but it will be within, uh, I'm going to say before the end of September, it, that will become... Uh, public knowledge so i'm i'm very excited about that and i'm sorry that i can't uh, big announcement coming yeah, big announcement well, yeah coming. i'm sorry that i can't give any hints to it but i am excited so stay tuned on that there is something else coming out yeah. of work so it'll probably announced around the time you're doing that q a at richmond weekend actually. oh I'm like, I, you let me know what the hell it is totally then yeah. you know see mass cast folks i don't he don't let me in on everything either but uh well, you gotta have some mystery. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep. You gotta be somewhat mysterious about these that's, things. That's exactly keep people right. guessing. Keep them wondering. Keep them, you know. Wonder. What was the question you were starting to ask me? Well, speaking before of, I yeah. You? Well, speaking of wondering about stuff um, and a little bit of mystery, although not as as much fun mystery. Uh, Casey Kane has announced he's. We already knew he was not coming back full time next year, but now he's not running Indy this weekend, and it's kind of some mysterious. 
I don't want to say mysterious because I'm not a doctor. I don't know what the deal is exactly, but he's some health related issues and some heat exhaustion issues that, you know, he had some, it sounded like the last hundred laps at Darlington, he was fighting just to be able to even stay awake or to be able to drive the car. And he's decided to get out of the car at Indy and, uh, it's a little scary and I don't, you know, I don't know what the deal is there. So I don't want to go too far into like speculate on what it might be, but I'll tell you what it did make me think of was when you first had to get out of the car in Oh two after the Winston open in Charlotte and which ended up being the last time you ran a car. And it was kind of the same deal in that it was just, you, you weren't, you knew you were sick. Everybody around you knew you were sick, but we couldn't figure out what the hell you were sick with and what was going on, what was causing it. And then that of course causes the rumors around the garage area and all that stuff. I think the, the, prevalent one at the time was everybody thought you you had cancer or something which you know thank goodness that wasn't the case it was the mayo clinic i guess later determined it was what was the the full full term if i remember correctly was acute and chronic carbon monoxide poisoning so but the point is at the time when you stepped out not only did anybody nobody else knew around us knew what was going on and you didn't know what was going on so i'm just i'm just kind of I guess just take me through or take us through kind of what that was like for you when you're having to step, you know, something's wrong, but you can't figure out exactly what it is. And the doctors don't know fully a hundred percent what it is. What is that like as a driver? Well, it's, it's, it's very frustrating because I've been going through it for like three months. Right. And each, each day a little bit worse, a little worse to finally it comes to hit at Charlotte. You run 50 laps, you get out of the car, you can't even walk to the friggin' motorhome, Right. Cause you're so deathly ill. And at this point you've already had, dozen a dozen or more tests run on you trying to figure out what's going on and everything comes back negative you know and so you know i think we've we've talked about this on my ass cast somewhat a little bit in the past but you know it's, it's very very frustrating when you when you got something like that going on it's obscure a very obscure and they can't they can't get a handle on it the, the good news through my deal was every time a test would come back the doctor would call me and say rick got good news what's that doc that's come back negative because they were testing me for the obvious stuff. And like you say, the cancers and some other things going on and everything kept coming back negative, which was good news. But I remember one time he called me at the end, man, I was laying in bed, just dying. He said, Rick got good news. Tests come back negative. I said, doc, I appreciate that, but you got to do something else. Cause I am absolutely dying here. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but anyhow, we would, you know, got the Mayo clinic. They, they did their, their work and, and kind of come up with what they thought. And then that led us to a carbon monoxide specialist, and that led us to another clinic that specializes in stuff like that. And finally got it all worked out and figured out, right? So, but the, the deal with Casey, you know, I, I read his quotes, and I think most fans have read his actual quotes this week of what he said. And, you know, some of what he talks about mimics some of what I went through. Uh, hopefully, and I'm assuming, I don't know anything about it, but hopefully, and I'm assuming that. You know, when they're, you know, they were treating him in infield care, they're, they're taking his blood. They were testing for carbon monoxide levels. I don't know. I assume they're doing that now, uh, for something like that. So, you know, I, I'm just hopeful that, you know, I was really surprised when he, when he made the announcement that, or they made the announcement that Casey wasn't going to run Indy, but, uh, uh, the problems from severe heat exhaustion at Darlington, that kind of threw me for a loop because you know, just a normal heat exhaustion. We've all, you, everybody goes through it as a driver. Sometimes in their career, you go, go through it a few times. You'll, you'll get out of the car dead, sick, you know, uh, can't think properly. You get to the infield carrier or the hot or the ER and they fill you up with fluids and kind of get you going. And by about, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, 
you know, you're kind of back on your feet again. So this deal, it kind of surprised me a little bit, but then reading what Casey said, his symptoms were, and he kept talking about his heart rate going up so high. And once that happened, then he couldn't drink anything. Right. And then he knew he was getting dehydrated, but he was, he was just stuck. Nothing he could do. And so, you know, they, they, I'm not sure what's going on there, but, but he's smart enough to get himself out of the race car. He knew he, he got scared enough during that race at Darlington, knowing that, you know, you, you, you can't do your body like this. You know, your body just can't, your body can't withstand it's so much of that type of stress. And, uh, he's smart enough to know that and disciplined enough to know that he don't need to go to Indy cause Indy's a hard, Indy's a hot deal, Ricky. Indy, Indy, I'm gonna tell you, that's one of the hottest races that we run is at Indianapolis. And I'm not sure. I never could figure out what it was about. One thing that, that, that comes out is, is always a, the humidity's all, all, it seems like it's always high during that race, right? Humidity works on your body. But it's something about the track. It's I don't know if it, I don't know what it is, but it's something about that track that's always I always a hot wonder, race. I always wondered if and you know you're running it in in this time of year. So well, y'all ran it in August, so it's it's you know we're a little bit later now, but it's still plenty. It's at least here in Atlanta, it's still plenty warm. I always wondered if it was a little bit of I'm probably going to sound stupid here, but I always wondered if it was a little bit of the like the Bristol effect, like with the Indianapolis, particularly with that front straightaway it's just wall to wall of grandstands and it all kind of, you know, Bristol's kind of like a bowl. And, and so you feel like maybe some more of the fumes and the heat and everything else kind of stays contained a little bit. I always just wondered if there was any of that, a little bit of that effect there with like the front stretch and everything with there being grandstands and buildings and stuff kind of all packed in there. I just wondered if maybe that contributed to it. And again, that's just Lord knows I have never understood science or been good at it, but that was just one of my, harebrained theories i wondered about if it's just kind of a just kind of that bowl effect a little bit you know what i'm saying yeah it could be the the problem with that i thought of that myself the problem is the back straightaway is open yeah this is as hot as hell back there too at indy okay that's fair i yeah. don't i don't really understand what what goes on i guess probably engineers probably know now you know yeah but but anyhow back to casey i i i feel good that he he was disciplined enough to do what he did uh I also hope that they get it figured out and, and they will, they'll, they'll figure out what's going on. Cause he, you know, he's got the rest of this year. I mean, he's, he's retiring. Yeah, but he's got, he's got commitments. His team has commitments and he's got the, he's got the rest of this year to finish out yet. So hopefully they'll get, you know, they'll get that thing figured out and, uh, you know, get him tuned up and, and ready to go again. Yeah. And I, he's one that I, cause he was one that always kind of, you know, there are always there's rumors or, or whatever that maybe he'd like to run the Indy 500 someday. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think it'd be kind of, cool. hopefully everything works out with him. I think it'd be kind of cool since he's not going to be back full time or anything like that. I think it'd be kind of cool to see, uh, see him run the 500 someday along with, by the way, we'll get into this some other time, but our buddy smoke has made some, there's been some rumblings about him trying to maybe run it again someday, which would be, that'd be pretty cool too. But anyways, hopefully everything works out with Casey and I'm sure, like you said, he, he got out in time and they're, they're, they're checking on him. So they'll, they'll get it figured out one way or another. All right, Dad, we usually end up with, uh, or end each episode with you giving me a quote, a quote of the week to guess, but I've got one for you, and I'm going to have you guess who this might be, this famous... That's uh, good, because I got tired of looking for these stupid yeah, quotes. Yeah, well, that's why I'm giving you a break here. So this is a famous person said this. Uh, okay, famous person. Okay. I've been very, very lucky through ups and downs. When you crash and burn, you have to pick yourself up and go on and hope to make up for it. 
Along the way, I've met some wonderful people, and you always run into some jerks, but that would be the same if you were working for the Ford Motor Company. So I've been very, very lucky through ups and downs. When you crash and burn, you have to pick yourself up and go on and hope to make up for it. Along the way, I've met some wonderful people, and you always run into some jerks, but that would be the same even if you were working for the Ford Motor Company. So a famous person said that, not race car uh, driver. All right, all right, all right. You're going to have to give me hints. Uh, singer, actor, okay, I'll, I'll entertainer. Say, he's he was he was an actor, and he did not he he was not a professional race car driver, but he he portrayed one once or twice in his in his career. And think topical. Oh 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 oh! Yeah, I got see? it. I got it. I got it. They call him the bandit. Yep. That's him. That's it. The bandit. Yep. The bandit. Burt Reynolds. You know, what I, you know one of the best quotes I've ever heard in the movie, Ricky? It was in Smoking the Bandit. Burt Reynolds, he's trying to spark Sally Fields. Mm-hmm. What was her name in that movie? Man, uh, I don't Frog. Frog, yeah. yeah. He was trying to he was trying to spark Frog in the backseat of the trans. You know? Yeah, he was trying to jump her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was trying to jump her. Yeah. And he said how, uh, one of the most famous, best quotes I've ever heard, and I can't remember, but it was it was along the lines of how I, intelligent you, how intelligent you are really deter- really depends on what part of the country you're in. Yeah. Because he asked her, he said, "You ever heard of Waylon Jennings? No. You ever heard of Richard Petty? No. It's not really a sign of your intelligence. It's just where you're from." That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's funny. Those are, if you had to pick two of your idols when you were growing up, it would probably be Waylon Jennings and Richard Petty, wouldn't it? I mean, I know that's, that, those are your without, guys. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh it's, yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, it was, it was sad to see him, uh, see him, see him go. Of course he had not been the last couple of times I'd seen him out in public. I'm, I'm not that I personally saw him. I just mean on TV or whatever, you know, he looked like, you know, age had finally caught up with him because he was a good-looking fella for most of his life there, but uh, it was it was kind of age was finally catching up to him. But man, that's talk about uh, when somebody passes, but the the work they left behind, man, that's just some some classic classic movies. Uh, I to me, Smokey and the Bandit is still and will always be one of my favorite movies of all time. I I remember watching that for the first time at uh, your parents' place, me, mom, and granddaddy's house, years when I was a kid and just laughing myself silly. And it's still, every time it's on or I sit down to watch it now, it still makes me laugh. And it's, uh, I tell you, those pictures, you know, when he when he passed away the other day, the picture that you kept seeing circulated around social media and everywhere else, that it's, to me, it's like an iconic, iconic Hollywood picture. That picture of him sitting in the black Trans Am and the Bandits Trans Am with the red button-up shirt and the cowboy hat, giving like the little smiling and giving like the little peace sign or waving sign there. Uh, the car. That picture is is iconic, and uh, that's what I'll always think of when I think of Burt Reynolds. By the way, there's a picture of you hanging up in in the basement there with all your trophies and pictures and everything of you, Harry Gant, and Burt Reynolds. If I'm not mistaken, in, in a picture. So you met the bandit once or twice back in the day. Yeah, didn't you? yeah, I met the bandit a couple of times. He, of course, he was. By the time I got to cup racing, he was out of it, right? But yeah, I, I did think of that picture the other day when I heard he passed, and I thought, man, I need, I need to take a picture of the picture and put that on 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 social media, right? I did, I didn't do it. I forgot about it. I didn't. I might, I might do that yet. But uh, I tell you, you know, it's something about Burt Reynolds that another deal you never hear him talk about any, but Burt. You know, when he came in, Hal Needham, of course, the, the, the Hollywood director and stuntman, and they started the team with Skull, the Skull Banner as it, it, it originally began, uh, 
hurting Bow's skull team or whatever they called it, or Hal and Burt's hurting Bow. There you go. Good God. Hal and Burt's team. Well, Burt Reynolds brought credibility to our sport, Ricky. You know, he was he, at that point in his career, man, he was, he was a very well-known actor. In fact, when they come in, Smokey the Bandit had been released. So he was a very popular actor in our country. And he came into our sport as a, as a part owner of a, of a Winston Cup team. So, you know, that he's just, it's another one of those deals like the Brickyard. It's another one of those deals that, 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 that adds to the, you know, the growth of our sport. I don't know that I've ever heard or read or any, anybody talk about that, but he, you know, he brought credibility. He brought fans in when he, when he, when he stepped into our sport and, uh, Never really knew him that well. Everybody told me he's cool as hell, just a cool as hell dude. Always giving back to actors. People wanted to act actresses. Always giving back to his, to his, his, uh, you know, his his group, right? And that, that's what you love to see in people, and that's what he did for a lot of folks, the way I understand it. But uh, yeah, it was cool. It was a cool. It was a cool picture too. Yeah, he's just just the word cool. There's some people, and like famous people, actors, athletes, whatever. There's some, it's just like, man, no, they just, they're just like, man, it's just, some people were just born to be just cooler than everybody else. I think. And Burt Reynolds in his heyday, I don't think it got any cooler than him. He was just the personification of just, just cool. So yeah, there's know. no doubt. Yeah. So no doubt. Rest in peace, Burt Reynolds. That, uh, Godspeed Burt Reynolds. Godspeed yeah. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. And thank y'all for bearing with us. We're, we're happy to be back and hopefully we won't be absent, uh, for quite as long of a stretch as we were this past time. We're going to try to do a little bit better this time. And, uh, yeah. So, and Hey, if you haven't already gotten your tickets for Richmond, get them now, go out there and, and ask, ask, uh, at Rick mass 22 here, some silly questions. And I get you, uh, he'll probably give you a good silly answer or some serious ones. If you want, if that's what you're into. So get your tickets for Richmond. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thank you especially for bearing with us during our recent absence. We'll try not to be absent for that long again. If you haven't already done so, please uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a good old positive review and a five-star rating. helps other folks discover our show. God willing, the creek don't rise. We'll be back next week or, you know, soon, hopefully. We're going to aim for next week. I promise. See you next time, folks. (laughs) 